What we thought we'd like to do to start the new year is we thought we'd start it in a slightly uh, different way. Rather than have one person speak, we're going to have three people speak. Um, they're going to speak for a shorter period of time. They're not going to each do a uh, full-length preacher. At least that's what they've promised me, uh, and that's what I've told them to do. Uh, but they're just going to speak to us about how to start the new year in a good way. What does that look like if you're following God uh, or if you're thinking about doing that? And uh, so we've got three people going to do that. Uh, we're going to have Jackie uh, Sahota, who is part of the team who is planting a church uh, in Livingston, which is a big project that we're doing at the moment. Uh, before that, we'll have Peter Johnson, who is a small group leader here at King's, uh, but starting us off, we're going to have Kat Davison, who is, uh, co-leads our student work, and she's going to speak to us first. So let's welcome Kat. Hello, everyone. Am I on? Yeah. Great. Happy New Year. Um, so yeah, I'm Kat, for those of you who don't know me. Um, I'm a school teacher, so I'm just finishing a brilliant holiday. Um, and I've been at this church for almost 10 years now. So if you are just visiting and thinking about maybe new churches, if you are a student, um, can I just commend the leaders of this church and this church to you? It's been a great home for me. Um, But today I'm going to be speaking um, part of verse 2 in Hebrews 12. I'm going to start by reading um, Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2 to you. So it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, For many of you, this will be a very familiar set of verses. Um, They can really change your life, I believe, and the way that you think, if we really take the truth that's in them. I'm going to be focusing in on the bit that says, fixing your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And my aim in 10 minutes, it will be 10 minutes, is just to remind us how trustworthy God is, how good he is, how faithful Jesus was and is to salvation, and working this out in our lives. And like a lot of scripture, it seems very simple, fix your eyes on Jesus. But if you throw in human error and um, our day-to-day lives, it can be very tricky um, to do this sometimes. But we have the Holy Spirit to help us. All around us, we have things trying to catch our attention and demand our fixing of our gaze, whether it's advertising, day-to-day routines, uh, duties we have, good things like family, work, church, things we're responsible for. Uh, We have a lot of things competing for our attention. And we also have a real enemy that wants us to look anywhere else but Jesus. The verse again says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I'm going to look first at what it means for Jesus to be the pioneer and perfecter, then our responsibility of fixing our eyes onto him. So Jesus has pioneered the path of salvation. The way to the Father and to eternal life with him wasn't clear until his death. Jesus was perfect in a way which we can't be. In dying on the cross, he took all of our sin, shame, guilt, and provided a way to the Father and to eternal life. Only Jesus could do that because he's the son of God. And we were hearing that in the worship um, from Mike and from Amal about Jesus being our savior. Jesus accomplished the perfection of our faith by his sacrificial death on the cross. And linking this to the previous verse in Hebrews that says, tells us to run the race with perseverance. It's like Jesus has cleared the path for us and made a way for us to run freely. 
Hurdles will always exist in life, always. But there are no roadblocks. Jesus has made that path clear for us, and we are invited freely to step onto it. Other translations describe Jesus as the author and perfecter, which occurs earlier in Hebrews as well in chapter 2, verse 10. It says, In bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Jesus' suffering on the cross made him a perfect leader or pioneer of our salvation. He didn't need to suffer or die for his own salvation, but through perfect obedience, he was the complete sacrifice for us. I love the word author here, just the sense that Jesus, with the Father, wrote and planned our salvation and the path for us. Through his death, he provides life and life in all its fullness, and this is what we've been asked to fix our eyes on. This word fix may have different meanings for you and carry different weight depending on who says it. If I say I can come and fix your shower, don't let me. I, I can't. Um, other people, Dave Hill, would be fine. He's fixed lots of things in my flat. Um, in mending or fixing something, there's a sense that it's back to where it's supposed to be or work as it should do. And we're told to fix our eyes onto Jesus. There's a sense that that's exactly where we're supposed to be. We're made for a relationship with him. A quick story about me. I've decided with a friend from school to do the Three Peaks Challenge this year. And if you know me well, you know I, like, I hate walking up hills. I despise <laughs> it. I don't want to do it, really, but it's a challenge. Um, after my dad had stopped laughing for a while, he asked um, if I had any idea how to read a map on mountains or what would happen in bad weather. I have no idea. Um, <laughs> And we just had a conversation. He said it's very important to know on the map which point you are fixed to, uh, which position on the map you are, and which direction you're facing. If you know this, then you can be very confident about where to step next. And whilst I'm assuming the three peaks are not going to be a matter of life or death, um, if, it was, if I was on Everest, it would be. I would absolutely know, need to know where I was facing and which direction I was going in. This command to fix our eyes on Jesus is a matter of life or death. Have you at some point fixed your eyes onto him, the one who has overcome the grave, the one who has brought salvation for all people through his sacrificial death? Can I encourage any of you in this room, if you haven't done that, to do so? It will be the best decision you make of 2017. Um, other translations say, look unto Jesus, not fix. And the imagery in this verse is about a race. If you were running a competitive race, you would know which way to go, and which way to look towards. You would look to the finish line and you would run towards it. There's a clear call and command in this verse to stay fixed on Jesus and to look to him. Why? Because he has orchestrated salvation for you. We should only look to Jesus for salvation. As I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of things competing for our attention and we will choose to fix our eyes on a lot of other things every day. I wonder if you've remembered God's grace is as powerful at the beginning of 2017 as it's ever been. He knows what your distractions might be, what you're tempted towards, uh, real hurts and suffering that you might be experiencing, disappointment, uncertainty of the future, and what's next for you. Whatever trial or joy we go through, we are commanded and encouraged to look and fix our eyes onto Jesus, who is perfect. In him, life begins and is sustained. In Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, it says, Enter through the narrow gate, 
for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. This doesn't mean that it's hard to become a Christian or join the race. It just means there's one way to salvation, and that's Jesus. He knows what might distract us away from him, and there's grace for us. Our job is to daily fix our eyes onto him. What might it mean for us to fix our eyes on him in our daily lives? Like right now, for example, where you're sitting, and for the rest of the meeting and the rest of today, what might that mean? I believe that fixing our eyes on him, we see the world as he does, and we look to Jesus as our example. And in John 5, verse 19, it tells us that Jesus is looking to the Father for his example. It says, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Through the Holy Spirit, Jesus will guide you through the decisions you have to make. He will show you how to love the people around you well. He will show you how to deal with conflict and boredom and apathy. I'm sure many of us will have stories of how we wanted to react in a very human way in a certain situation, but we ended up reacting with grace and patience. Or finding that when we hear a horrendous news story, instead of just thinking, oh, it's like all the others, we feel that deep sense of justice and wanting to do something about it. By looking to Jesus, we can be guided about how to think, live, love, and act. I have a huge amount of respect for people who stick to New Year's resolutions. Um, I never can, although hating the microphone is one of them. So that's starting that. Um, but can I just throw this one in there? Um, to have a new sense of what it means to fix your eyes onto Jesus in your context, and your heart. It might be helpful to reflect on what you've been thinking about the most recently and what things could easily grab your attention away from Jesus. But fixing your eyes on Jesus is what we're commanded and encouraged to do. Um, I'll just end with saying in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 18, it says, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Thanks. Good morning, and a happy new year to everybody. Tell me, what New Year's resolutions did you make this year? Um, did you resolve to give up something? Or perhaps, uh, did you resolve to do something more frequently? Well, here's the headline from a survey of over a thousand American adults this year regarding New Year resolutions made for 2017. Move over dieting. There's a new top New Year's resolution in town for 2017. The Marist College Institute for Public Opinion released its findings on what Americans have decided as their top resolution for the new year. Wait for it. Being a better person. Top the list at 16%. Knocking losing weight from the number one spot for the first time since 2014. Exercising more, tied with losing weight for second place, 10%. And rounding out the top 10 resolutions are spending less and saving more money, improving one's health, eating healthier, all on 7%, stop smoking at 6%, get a better job, 5%, if only it was that easy, 
increasing time with the family, 5%, and enjoy life at 4%, a New Year's resolution. Okay, but I wonder if any of us this year resolved to give up on sinning. Because that's what the part of this verse that I've been asked to speak about encourages us to do. The verse is this, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. The Amplified Bible says this, stripping off every unnecessary weight and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. The Living Bible says this, let us strip off everything that slows us down or holds us back and especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. So let's see if we can unpack this section of the verse. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Firstly, what does everything that hinders mean? Well, the NavPress Life Change Bible Study Series um, says this. The phrase literally refers to a bulk or mass of something that is not necessarily bad in itself, In fact, it may be something that is perfectly innocent and harmless, but it weighs one down and diverts one's attention away from where it should be. So what are the things that encumber our lives, that occupy our attention, that divert our attention from where it should be and direct our inclinations away from being open to God and trying to walk with him? And I thought of a few. I think money can do that. There's nothing inherently wrong with money. Indeed, it's very difficult to live in our society without it. Um, But when money becomes our treasure, the thing that is occupying our attention, this certainly um, can hinder us and hold us back. And guys, just in case you're thinking, well, I don't have very much money, do you know money can be a hindrance whether we have lots or whether we have little? Ambition. I think it's terrific to see Christians in lots of spheres of our society influencing for, for God in politics or education or science or research. Absolutely fantastic. But... Naked ambition, the principal purpose of which is sort of self-aggrandizement and to make ourselves famous, can certainly divert us from building God's kingdom through our lives. Family, or even children, surely children are the greatest gift that we could, we could ever have. But have you noticed that sometimes even children can become so central to decision-making that even they can hinder us from a wholehearted walk with God. And it's actually very interesting that Jesus taught very explicitly and even provocatively about those three areas in the Gospels. And what others might hold us back? 
relationships, sports, pastimes, possessions, social media. I don't know what you might add to that list. So what about the second part of this verse? And the sin that so, and the sin that so easily entangles. Well, actually, sin, the word sin in this verse might actually be singular. In which case, this verse is speaking to Hebrew Christians who were at risk of falling away from God and going back to old Judaistic thinking and practices. And so the sin would be the sin of falling away if it was singular. But I think we can, from this verse, think that these could be the sins that entangle us. Um, sins, plural. And so I have to ask, we have to ask ourselves, what relationships am I in that I know are wrong? Am I financially honest or financially dishonest? Am I habitually lying? What am I looking at on the internet? Am I getting drunk? Am I stealing? Am I regularly angry? Sorry, but the list could go on, couldn't it? Um, so how do we avoid, when we're thinking about these things, how do we avoid being hindered by them? How do we avoid being entangled by these sins? And here we are at the start of a, of a new year. Well, the first thing to notice is, in this verse, the verse starts with, throw off the things that are hindering us and the sins that are entangling us. Throw off is active. You can't sort of lie back and think, right, I'm just waiting to throw off some of these things. We've got to do them. There is an active um, role on our part to do this. And so as I try and answer this question, how do we um, not be hindered by these things? How do we try and prevent ourselves being entangled by these sins? I come back to resolutions. Actually, it's interesting, that same survey I spoke to you about at the beginning, they also asked the same people, what about last year's resolutions? 8% indicated that they had fully kept the resolution that they made last year. And 49% said that they kept the resolution partially. And actually, I think throw off is involving us resolving to throw off hindrances and give up sin. Now, how might that look practically? Well, in some of those areas I've mentioned, there would be a practical outworking of that. Say, for example, money. We can practically tithe our incomes. By that, we're saying, God, everything you give me is from you in the first place. Here's the, my first share back to you. Um, and I think that's a great practice and a great principle to put in place right from square one. And again, I say, whether you're living on a student income or it's your first salary check you ever get or you get a, a, a salary put into your bank account monthly, um, establish good principles there. Perhaps another one would be feed on the good to eschew the bad. And by that, I mean regularly read and feed on the word of God. I think seek the infilling and the help of the Holy Spirit in our lives to live the Christian life. Listen to the counsel of fellow Christians. But I'm going to admit to you, 
I don't always find resolutions, New Year's resolutions, easy to keep, do you? Um, and sometimes we perhaps lose the, the real ability to keep those resolutions. But actually, perhaps one of the biggest ones of all that I feel um, helps me to try and keep these resolutions is actually given in the next, the following two verses of this passage. Let me read them to you. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And I find sometimes it's helpful. Consider Jesus who endured such opposition, who suffered more than I could ever suffer and gave up more for me than I could ever give up for him. Do it out of relationship with him as our biggest motivator. So I finish with this. I'm going to resolve this new year to be aware of those saints in heaven that we read about at the beginning of this, of this verse, to throw off hindrances and entangling sin, to run the race marked out for me, to build the kingdom of God, and perhaps with the biggest motivation of all, to help me keep that resolution, considering Jesus, author, perfecter, wonderful saviour. I've been asked to um, speak about the part of this verse that talks about perseverance. And um, I think it always helps when someone is speaking about difficult things uh, to know that they have a little bit of experience in dealing with what they're talking about. So I just do want to say to you this morning, I do feel as I'm standing here that there have been a few things in life that I have persevered through. Um, and when the um, church uh, email came out this week that said that the series this morning was three mini preaches, I had a bit of a panic because actually I didn't feel like I'd prepared a preach at all. I feel like what I've prepared is a bit of just sharing of experience and of wisdom. Um, so that's really where I'm coming from this morning as I speak to you here. So the verse in Hebrews says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now, because I'm a teacher, the first thing I do when I come across any kind of uh, literacy is I go for a dictionary. And uh, when I looked up perseverance in the dictionary, this is what it tells me. It tells me that perseverance is persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. And in the English language, the root word in the Latin, perseverantia, means abiding by strictly. So here we are, we're in this race and we're called to persevere, we're called to abide in the race strictly, we're asked to stay on track and be aware of where the boundaries are and stay on that track and be in the race. And because I'm not just a teacher but I'm a very good teacher, my next port of call was a thesaurus. So if you need any help in terms of expanding the meaning of perseverance, here are some alternatives that might help you to do that. The thesaurus says, dedication determination, endurance, grit, stamina, steadfastness, it gets better, tenacity, constancy, immovability, indefatigability, 
and purposefulness. That's what we're called to run this race with, with perseverance. Now, that verse could have said lots of other things. It could have said, and let us run this race with joy. Let us run this race without complaining. Let us run this race with a lot of things. But it tells us, run this race with perseverance. And I did think when I was uh, thinking about this over the last week about all the kind of obstacles that we might face in our lives as we run this race. And it occurred to me that there are lots of different types of obstacles that we can come across in life. And if you think about the kind of path of your life, and I've lived a lot longer than some of you here, I think about obstacles in life and I think, well, there are some obstacles in life and they're like recurring bumps. You know, if you have a character trait that's a bit difficult or you're in a situation that's a bit troublesome, but it's a lifelong thing, then you can come across an obstacle on a regular basis. It's the same one, and it's a little bump, and you get over it. And as you move through life, you learn how to handle that obstacle a bit better. There are other obstacles that you come across in life, and they occur to me that they're a bit like a muddy hill. So you come across this kind of muddy hill, and it's a bit of a scramble to go over it, but there's something to kind of grip onto, and you're kind of up a bit and then down a bit, and you're over the top, and you're all messy on the other side of it, and then you recover from it, and then you move on. And then you come up against other obstacles, which to me seemed in my mind's eye like a great big steel sheet across the whole of your vision, as high as you can see, as wide as you can look. There's nothing to grip onto. There doesn't seem any way of getting over it or around about it. It's just there and it seems immovable. There are other obstacles that seem to me, or, or incidents that seem to me like someone, like a great big rugby player, has come completely left side. You didn't see him coming. He's rugby tackled you and taken you out the race completely. There are lots of different obstacles that come along in our lives, and it's different for you and for you and for me. We all experience different kinds of troubles in life that we need to persevere through. And I could stand here today and give you my advice on how to handle each one of these, but I thought what I would do was just take a step back from that and talk about what um, lies behind our thinking when we come to these obstacles that might help us to persevere in the race. And the most important thing that I wanted to talk to you about this morning in terms of perseverance was your perspective. Because I think that if we begin this race with the correct perspective, and if we maintain the race with the correct perspective, that will help us to persevere and stay in the race. And the first thing that I want to say to you about your perspective is this, is that we should anticipate the need to persevere. This verse is telling us that things will come along that will cause you to um, be disqualified from this race, to disqualify yourself from this race, to meet an obstacle that means that the race is harder than you thought, or to find something that you need to battle through, we should anticipate the need to persevere. Um, the word of the prophet Isaiah to the people of God, Israel, was, do not fear, I have redeemed you, I have summoned you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, the flames will not set you ablaze. So what the Word of God is telling us is that we will meet obstacles, we don't need to be defeated by them, but we should anticipate that they will come and that they will happen. And if you think about the example of Jesus, who's suffering but our salvation, then there's a pattern in the Bible that says that suffering and difficult things will come, but we endure them for the hope that is set before us. So the first thing about your perspective, about your paradigm, about your window frame through which you look at the world, is that your perspective should correctly say that difficulties will come. And then when difficulties will come, we can be prepared and more prepared to persevere and to endure. 
The second thing I would say about perspective is this, that you need to know who God is and that you need to know who you are in God. That is a really, really fundamental part of persevering in the race that God has set before us. And by way of illustrating that, I just want to give you a little bit of testimony about how that has worked out in my life. As some of you will know that I I have a failed marriage in my past, in my history. Um, That was quite a long time ago, but it doesn't um, take away the fact that it was a really difficult and hurtful time in my life. That was 2002. And uh, to say that I was devastated by that, a broken person would actually be an underestimation of how I actually felt. It was awful. And if you've been through that, then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, But after the initial shock of that had kind of landed, and I'd thought about how I was going to get back up on my feet and deal with this and move on with life, um, one of the things I think I found really, really difficult was looking at other people's lives and wondering then why this had happened to me. And I began to ask that age-old question, why me? And I think anybody who's been in a really tough situation in life has asked themselves that question, why me? And um, it always seemed worse when I went to church, because I think when you go to church, what you think you're looking at are perfect couples and perfect families, people with great jobs, everything kind of sorted. And when you're struggling, that's how the world looks, and it makes you ask the question, well, why me and not them? Why did this happen to me? And I think that quite quickly after that, the next question that you start to ask is, well, why did God let this happen to me and not that person or that person or that person? Um, And I guess what happened to me was this, that I had uh, been brought up in a Christian family, in a Christian home, and I would say I'd been a good girl all my life. Uh, I became a Christian when I was nine. I got baptised when I was 14. I'd never really stepped out of church. I joined the CU at uni. I'd been active in that. Um, I'd pursued um, being a Christian all my life long. I was in church. I was leading worship. I was doing Alpha, um, involved in the leadership team in the church. And then, bam, this thing happened in my life. And so I was asking the question, why me? And I'm asking the question, why, God, did you let this happen to me? And what I realized I had done was I had actually constructed my own theology about my relationship with God. And actually what I had developed was a thinking that wasn't actually biblical because what I actually realized I had done was I thought that all that stuff I'd been doing in my life when I looked back was like I'd been putting all these deposits in the bank of goodness. And actually I thought that when something bad happened to me that actually God owed me something better. And that wasn't really right thinking. Because the Bible says that it's by grace that we've been saved. We've been saved through faith, not from ourselves. It's a gift from God, not by works, so that no one could boast. And I knew that verse. I'd known that verse my whole life long. If I wasn't nervous this morning, I could quote that verse to you without looking at the paper. I know the verse. But I developed a perspective about me and about God and about my life that wasn't biblical anymore. So... What happened was, because my theology was wrong, I was asking God this question in a really demanding and sulky way, and it was really not helping me to persevere in my walk with God or in my life. So knowing who you are in God and knowing what God sees, who God sees you as is really important. Now, I felt I'd been a really good person all my life, and I felt like God owed me. You might feel like you've been a really terrible person all your life, and God can't possibly give you anything. It doesn't really matter where you're coming from, 
from that point of view, if your perspective isn't a biblical perspective, you're going to find it difficult when difficult things come your way to persevere. So I would say this to you. I would say, know who you are in God and know who God is. And also in terms of perspective, I would say on a very practical level, learn to differentiate between things that are mild difficulties and things that really are obstacles that would throw you off this race. I think sometimes we live in a culture that's quite self-indulgent and quite navel-gazing in terms of approaching difficulties in life. And we, we're looking for this kind of perfect scenario where um, nothing is really wrong and everything is really perfect and that things that do go wrong should quite quickly be made right. Um, and so I would say to you, just be careful about that. Be careful about looking at small things in your life that are mildly irritating and blowing them up to be things that they're not really. Is this a mole or is it? A mountain. Is it a molehill or is it a mountain? You know, that perspective I think can help you. So anticipate the need to persevere, know who you are in God, and differentiate between mild difficulties and tough situations. Can I keep going? Um, the second thing I want to say about uh, persevering through difficult things is this know the promises of God, know the word of God. Um, it says in Psalms, I gain understanding from your precepts. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. It's important that when the world speaks to you, when your own voice speaks to you, when people round about you speak to you, it's really important when you're in a difficult situation and your back is against the wall or you're facing something tough that you know what the word of God says because all these other voices need to be filtered through what the word of God says. So if you've got a voice in your head that is condemning you because of your sinfulness and that's making it difficult for you to persevere in the race, you need to know that the word of God says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just and he will forgive your sin and he'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you've got a voice inside of you that's telling you that you're worthless because of what has happened to you and you've been rejected and no one really wants you anymore, then you need to know that the word of God says that though your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will receive you. If you're feeling afraid because something has come up against you that you feel you cannot overcome, then you need to know that the word of God says that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and if the righteous run to it, they're safe. And if you feel overwhelmed by the thing that's happening to you, then you need to know that the word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You need to know what the word of God says in order to persevere in this race. I was brought up in the Christian Brethren and we didn't really know who the Holy Spirit was. I lived 21 years of my life without really encountering the Holy Spirit in any kind of tangible way. We believed in the Trinity, we sang about the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, but there was, actual no, there was no actual practical application of that. But what we did do in the Christian Brethren was we read this word and we memorised this word and we knew this word. Now, King's is such a great church because we do both. That's what's so fabulous about being in a church like this. It's like two sides of a coin, the word and the spirit. I just want to put out a kind of, um, from my experience and my kind of feeling, this is what I would say. The Holy Spirit is the power of God and he can do anything. And I truly believe if you're facing an obstacle in your life, that God can do something amazing and miraculous and he can remove it in an instant. He has the power to do that. And we should look for that and we should pray for that and we should pursue that with everything that we are. But this is what I would say to you. Do not 
procrastinate from applying the word of God in your life on a daily basis whilst you persevere through that and wait for God to do something amazing. It's not one or the other, it's both. And I think sometimes as Christians, I hear people who feel or seem quite defeated, and I think, well, some of that is about the pain of waiting for a situation to be resolved, but you can do a lot in some ways to help yourself by applying the word of God in your life on a daily basis. And I would say do both. I would say cling on to that vision you have of this obstacle being removed. Pray with all you are, get people to pray with you that whatever is happening to you right now or whatever you see that is getting in the way will be removed and at the same time know the word of God and apply it in your life. And that moves on to the next kind of thing that I want to say, which is that you have a responsibility to discipline your thoughts. When you're persevering through something, it's really difficult for you to kind of go down a track that might be quite negative or quite self-depreciating. And it's really important that you discipline your thoughts. And Philippians says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And that is the absolute antidote, I think, to what the circumstances of life do to us when they drag us down. That if we think about what's right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent and praiseworthy, then that is a real help to us in terms of maintaining a perspective that will help us to persevere. And um, Jay's got used to this now, but he used to laugh at me to begin with. He, you know, he'd be going around the house trying to find where I was and he would come upstairs and I'd be lying on the bed in our bedroom in the dark, just lying on top of the bed with my eyes shut. And Jay would say to me, where are you being? What are you doing? And I said, I'm just thinking. And what I do when I feel like I'm stressed or I feel overwhelmed or things are getting me down or difficult, I go, and everyone finds their own way of doing this, but I go upstairs and I lie down in our bed in the dark and in my head, I just speak passages of the Bible to myself or I take worship songs and I say them in my head. My Jesus, my Saviour, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonder. So, and I just lie in my bed and I do that stuff. And I think that's what that is. That is thinking about whatever is right or excellent or praiseworthy or noble. And if you use that as an antidote to the world dragging you down and the circumstances of life trying to knock you out of this race, that will help you immensely. Because it, it, this, this is what renewing of your mind is. When, when, when Romans talks about having your mind renewed, I think that's partly what this is. This is the Spirit of God applying the Word of God in our lives, and it helps us to cope, and it helps us to understand what it is we're doing and where we're going. So in terms of promises, know the Word of God and discipline your thoughts. That will help you to persevere. And the last thing that I want to say, because I'm way over time now, is this. I would say in your journey of faith, as you persevere through things, I would say the people that you surround yourself with are really important. And I would say choose wisely. We should all be connected to people in, out there in society who do not know Jesus. In fact, we should be connected to more people who don't know Jesus than to who do. Because our purpose in life is to spread the word and, and be missional and be relational in that way. But around about you in your life, you need to have a few people who share your love of Jesus, who are on this journey with you and who will help you in this journey at points when you feel weak. That is so important. And that's why you should be in a small group. That's why when you choose a partner for life, you should choose someone who is on this journey with you, prepared to strictly abide in this race with you. 
That's why when you make good and deep friendships, you need a few people around about you who can share your pain and your difficulty with you and help you to maintain this perspective. It says in Ecclesiastes, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. If two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. I don't read the scriptures and see any man who is an island. I don't read the scriptures and see any lone rangers. I see people who are connected. Uh, I see people who are in fellowship, people who are in communities of God's people who have the help of others when they feel weak. So I hope that that has been helpful to you in terms of thinking about how we persevere. I realise that some of that might sound a bit like a bit of a slap on the side of the head this morning, which is how Jay described it when I told him what I was going to say this morning. But I think that sometimes as we encourage one another and as we help one another in this walk, sometimes we need to be strong, we need to be defined, and we need to say we need to be directional and we need to say this will be helpful. So if you are struggling this morning with something that's really, really difficult, um, I don't mean to be harsh this morning. I've been where you are. It's awful if you're in a really terrible place. But the worst thing that can happen if you're in a really terrible place is that people can just soft soap you and say to you what you want to hear, which is it's really terrible, isn't it awful? It is really terrible and it is awful. But the best thing we can do for each other is to be strong with each other, to help each other by bringing truth to a situation. And the truth is that if your perspective is correct, if you know the word of God and if you have the right kind of people around about you, you are more likely to be able to strictly abide in this race than not. Okay.